great to see you all, half of you. I just want to begin by saying what, a, what an honor it is to come and spend time with a, with a church that has been such a big part of my life and my family's life. Um, as, uh, as we spend our time here, it was really, really, it's really great to be back and to, uh, to worship God with you and to, uh, once again, open God's word together with you. So um, I've heard this statement for many, many years. I think you have too. It's, uh, may you live in interesting times. Um, I always thought that was something to be desired. <laughs> I mean, the world is filled with wonder, and life is an adventure, and history is this exciting story, and we're all part of it. I mean, who wants to live in uninteresting times, right? But I've recently learned that that, is an, uh, that phrase is an English translation of an ancient Chinese curse. Now, unless you've been living in a cave or out in the woods or in some other way off grid, then you must know that this year, 2020, would qualify as interesting times. Um, I, don't, I don't need to tell you why <laughs> or what makes it so interesting. I think you got the idea by now, right? What I do want to talk about this morning is what we're all looking for in the midst of it. Answers. No matter the issue, and there have been a few, everyone wants to know a few things. How did it start? Who's to blame? How can we get through? How can we bring about real change in the world? How can we make sure this sort of thing never happens again? Now, it's tempting to think of 2020 as some sort of anomaly, as if everything was fine before, and if we can just make it through to 2021, everything will be fine again. But there's a bigger problem going on, and it runs deeper and is far more serious than the things that have come upon us these last seven months and the things that are yet to come in the days and weeks ahead. Even if the problems of 2020 were to suddenly disappear overnight, we would still be troubled. Something would still wake us up in the middle of the night. Something would still try to take the joy out of living. Something would still cause pain and suffering and disappointment, and we would still be looking for answers. Many voices offer many solutions in many forms. Buy this product. Follow this plan. Take this medication. Elect this candidate. Every day we're inundated with opinions and distractions and lies. These are mere band-aids, quick fixes from the institutions that only see the consequences of the bigger problem that goes down deep inside each and every one of us. What we need is truth, truth about the world, truth about life, truth about God, truth about ourselves. We need it like a man three days in the desert needs water. And what we all want is to be free. Free from whatever is troubling us. Free from whatever circumstances in life we wish were different. Free from the pressure of unrealistic expectations. 
free to just be honest about who we really are. We're desperate for freedom like, like those who are chained to a wall or chained to an addiction or chained to circumstances that just won't, won't go away. This brings me to another quote, but unlike the first one, this one actually is a blessing, and we know who said it. Um, it's recorded for us in the Gospel according to John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I suspect you've heard that before. That last part is often quoted, even by those who don't know who said it, as a good rule for living, right? We teach our children that honesty is the best policy and that it's a whole lot harder to maintain a lie than it is to begin with the truth in the first place. And we hope that that carries over into their adulthood and they will avoid trouble by living honestly in the belief that truth will prevail. Now, that's a really great thought, but it has nothing to do with what Jesus was talking about. So I'd like to spend our time this morning together thinking about this statement from our Lord because I believe it addresses that bigger problem that I mentioned earlier. I believe it holds the key to what each of us needs the most. I believe it is the answer to the question that we should all be asking. And that question is this. How can we, people of a fallen world, be right with God? If you've never asked that question or you're not asking that question every day, I would invite you to, to consider it right now. How can we live in a fallen world and be right with God? So let's take it one phrase at a time. Jesus said, if you continue in my word. Simply stated, Jesus' word means the things that he was saying. The things he said in public during his sermons. The things he said in private conversations with his disciples. The things that he spoke to people who asked him specific questions. Even things he said in the clashes with the religious establishment. Now it's important to note that those who heard Jesus, noted that he spoke with authority, unlike their religious leaders. It's even more important to note that, that Jesus claimed to speak only what he heard from his Father. Everything he said carried the same weight as when God spoke to Abraham and Moses and the prophets of old. For this man, Jesus, literally was God in the flesh. And his word was truth. His word was authority. His word was the answer to their deepest need, and it is still the answer to our deepest need today. His word was and is the way to be right with God. But in a deeper sense, Jesus' word points back to himself. John began his account of the gospel like this, if you'll follow along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and took up residence with us. We observed His glory. The glory is of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. You know, Jesus was not merely a 
a great teacher pointing people to a certain body of knowledge or uttering phrases that would one day look good on Christian greeting cards or offering suggestions on how best to live. He was the embodiment of divine knowledge. He was and is the ultimate standard and the final authority on all that is good and everything that is right. So when we see that word, word, we need to think of all that Jesus said and all that Jesus was and still is. And when we read that entire phrase, if you continue in my word, we shouldn't take that to mean that good Christians ought to read their Bibles every day. Now, that is a good practice, and I encourage you to do so. But continue in his word means so much more. It means obeying his word. It means taking seriously the things that he said. When he said, sin no more, he meant whenever you're tempted to do something that you know God doesn't approve of, there's a very complicated process to go through. Here it is. Don't do it. The flip side, which is like it, when God makes it clear of what he wants to be done, another complicating process, get on with it. When he said, love your enemy, that wasn't just a nice sentiment. What he meant was is that those who are called by his name, those who have him living in them, ought to actually show love to those unlikable people who we don't think deserve it. When he said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, he meant that God must have first place in your life. He will not settle for whatever is left over after you've given love to your family, dedication to your job, time to the things that you want to do. No, he wants you all, all of you. He meant continuously living within the boundaries, within the framework that he determined for life that is pleasing and honoring to God. And if you do that, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Now, Jesus' audience was already familiar with the concept of discipleship. John the Baptist had disciples. The religious leaders had disciples. The prophets of old had disciples. A disciple was a student or an apprentice. But it involved so much more than the transfer of knowledge or the acquisition of a particular skill. A disciple was in training to continue the work of the teacher. That meant there had to be a close association. They had to spend a lot of time together because there was a lot of instruction that had to take place, a lot of practice that had to be done, even a lot of correction. The students needed to observe the teacher in all sorts of situations so that they could imitate what they saw the teacher doing. Eventually, they would speak and act so much like the teacher that there would be virtually no difference. And when it was time for them to carry on the teacher's work, they would do it exactly the way the teacher did it. In effect, they would become representatives of the teacher, repeating the same words, doing the same things, applying the same methods and principles, displaying even the same character. Character. 
intent on the same goal and doing for new disciples what the teacher had done for them. This is what Jesus did for three years with the original 12. This is why he included them in his ministry. They had to hear him teach. They had to witness the power of his miracles. They had to experience him caring for the needy and loving those who were the outcasts of the society. And when Jesus saw that they were ready, he sent them out to continue doing that work of the kingdom. Now, I know it's hard for us to think of living that kind of life in the world as it is now. One of the greatest challenges to my own spiritual journey is the 2,000 years that separates me from Jesus' earthly life. I can't hear his voice. I can't witness his miracles. I can't feel his touch. I can't have that two-way conversation with him that I want so much to have. I can't ask direct questions and expect to get a specific answer. Now, I've met many Christians who speak as if they do, and I don't, dis- I don't, uh, I don't deny that, that they feel that way. I've heard people try to encourage you and say, well, yeah, but we have the whole Bible in its entirety. They didn't. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us. They didn't. That's all true, but let's just be honest. It's not the same. And because it's not the same, we take it upon ourselves to determine what this Christian life ought to be. And strangely, or may I, perhaps I should say conveniently, we make it fit to the life that we want. We go to his word and we select passages that we like to hear and we read them over and over and over and we talk about those. And those passages in the scripture that maybe we don't like, well, we skip over those. We rely upon our own interpretation of scripture, even if it's wrong. We bring to it our own bias. Let me just pause right here and make a book recommendation for you. It's a book by Randy Richards, who is a friend of my, um, my wife's parents, a missionary to Indonesia. He wrote a book called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. Um, it's a fascinating book because it takes all these familiar passages that we've known and read for years and years and years, and it puts them in the context in which they were written, which is not 21st century America. And oh my goodness, some of the things that we have thought for a long time are just maybe off a little bit. So Randy Richards' book, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes, I highly recommend it to you. Well, we might be tempted to think that Jesus' words don't carry the same weight today as they did then. But they do. Remaining in his word still means letting his word define us. It means letting his word seek deep down inside of us, enabling us to live a kind of life that we would not be able to live otherwise. It's the Christ life. And what does that life look like for us today in 21st century America? It looks like this. As we let Christ live in and through us, our thoughts will be filtered through his thoughts. Our speech will be colored by his speech. 
Our actions will be directed by his actions. Our attitude will reflect his attitude. We will approach life as he did and we'll, we'll honor God as he did. We'll love people as he loved them. Remaining in his word means a constant awareness of him and a deep longing to please God. Now, of course, we're not going to be able to do it perfectly or as seamlessly as Jesus did, but we will, at the very least, be moving in that same direction. And in time, we'll see progress. If you're a Christian today and you, and you look back upon your life a year ago and it's the same as, as what it is now, you're not making progress. I want to encourage you to check yourself. Because a life with God should be a constant renewal. We should be constantly in his word, reading his words, and letting them affect us. Changing us. Influencing us. Directing us. And only when we do that will we be counted as his true disciples. And it will continue to have its effect on us. We'll believe what he believes. We'll want the same things that he wants. And we will live as he lived, obviously not as a first century Jewish rabbi with supernatural powers, but as 21st century men and women keeping his word and walking in his ways. And then comes the reward. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples, Jesus said. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now we've come to the part we've all been waiting for. That was the title of the sermon. Truth and freedom. But truth about what? And what sort of freedom? Well, in order to get to those answers, I want to first tell you a lie. It's a very old lie. And it's a lie that's accepted by most people in the world. It's a clever lie because it appeals to our sense of self-worth. It masquerades as the key to happiness and the path to self-fulfillment. This lie is often repeated as a well-intentioned word of encouragement. The lie is this. You don't have a problem. I suspect you have heard that lie your entire life, maybe even as recently as this week. And it comes in many, many forms. You're good enough just the way you are. You shouldn't have to change for anyone. Just believe in yourself. You do you. Now, the reason the world doesn't recognize this lie is because, well, it happened so long ago. We were born after the problem began. God's word tells us that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they lived in the truth, but they were deceived by Satan. And they bought into the lie. And because of that, that lie has permeated through history. It has affected our entire world even to today. John, in, in his first epistle, the, the end, he says, the whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. Just let that sink in for a minute. The whole world is being influenced by the evil one to perpetuate this lie. Hiding the truth that you do have a problem. 
that you really aren't good enough just as you are, that you actually do have to change, that believing in yourself is really not enough. You must instead believe in Christ. I've found that when I try to do me, (laughs) that's when I get into trouble. As John the Baptist said of Christ, he must increase, but I must decrease. Paul wrote, to live is Christ. And then he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I began by saying I wanted to talk about the answer to our greatest need. Well, here it is. What we need the most is the way to get back to God. And this is the way. It begins with a confession that we have a sin problem. Now, do you know who gets this in our society? Those who struggle with addiction and find themselves in recovery programs like AA and NA, the first thing that they have to admit is they have a problem that they can't handle themselves. If you think about it, we all have an addiction. We're all addicted to this thing called sin. We like it. It's fun sometimes. But just like an alcohol or drug addiction, sin begins to control us. And we just want more and more and more. So we have to confess that we have this problem. But that's only part of the truth. So you see, just as the lie implies that we don't need a savior, the truth demands that we do. The other part of the truth, the most important part is this, that Jesus is the only savior who can get us out of this trouble. He's the only one who can save us from these interesting times in which we live, which we've always lived. He did it by taking our problem onto himself. You see, I don't like talking about this because I don't like to reveal that I have that same problem. But when I go back to God's word, I find out that Jesus... At the end of his earthly life, he took my sin and your sin upon himself. It says, and this is an odd way to put it, it says he became sin. And he bore the wrath of God that you and I deserve so that we wouldn't have to. Man, that's good news today. And true freedom comes not from believing in ourselves or loving ourselves just as we are. It comes from believing in Christ and giving ourselves over to the complete overhaul that only he can perform. I wonder how many of you might be thinking, whether in this room or online, that I've been a bit extreme by calling out this lie and saying that Jesus is the only way. Well, let me just say, this was not my idea. (laughs) I didn't come here thinking, oh, I've got this great thing to say. This comes directly from our Lord. I want you to listen to the rest of this encounter. It's not going to be on the, on the screen behind me. But just listen to this encounter. And I'm going to start at the beginning because there's an important part that you need to hear. All right. It says this. At, uh, let's see. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? You see, they don't have a problem. I guess they forgot about that little incident down south in Egypt or in Babylon. Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. 
A slave does not remain in a household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to, oh, you're trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. Therefore, you do what you have heard from your father. Do you hear how the conversation is beginning to change? Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Now listen very carefully. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen to him. Because you are not from God. Man. I would have loved to have been in the presence of Jesus when he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I would have hated to be among those and listen to that conversation turn on me and be told by Jesus that I was of the devil. You see, I've been reading this passage over and over and over these last few months, and I find it tremendously encouraging, but also alarming. It's encouraging in that Jesus just lays out exactly what it takes to be right with him, and by association with him, right with God. And here it is as plainly as I can say it, knowing and remaining in his word and walking in his ways is the only path to God. And entering that path begins with admitting that we have a sin problem and trusting that Jesus is the only solution. And the result, the good news, is freedom. Freedom. Let that word just ring in your, in your mind. Freedom. Freedom from the destructive effects of sin. Freedom from the eternal consequences of sin. Freedom from the wrath of God that is going to come upon this planet. Freedom to live as Christ intended the rest of our days here on earth and then for all eternity with him in heaven. Do you want to be free today to experience that, to know that that can be yours? This passage is alarming because of the response of those who are right there with Jesus. I mean, they heard him speak this truth he was offering them the way back to God, and all they had to do was take it. They started out believing him. The first words, he was speaking to those Jews who had believed him, and by the end of the passage, they want to kill him. 
They could have had what he was offering, but they rejected him. Why? Because they believed the lie. They couldn't admit that they had a problem, and they couldn't accept Jesus as the solution. In conclusion, and by way of response, I want to ask you a simple question today. How are you going to respond to what Jesus has said here in this passage? If you're already a Christian, I want to encourage you to to check your spiritual life by Jesus' word. What place does Jesus' word have in your life? Do you know it? Are you continuing in it? Are you obeying it or are you just saying, yeah, I got my five to ten minutes in this morning. I'm good to go. What kind of disciple are you? Are you progressing in the way of Christ? And what about the truth? Just because you've been saved doesn't mean you are immune to the temptation of sin. Yes, you are saved from the consequences, but it doesn't mean you're immune from the temptation or that you're immune from the seduction of the lie. Check yourself against the truth. Are you living in the true freedom of Christ? If you're not a Christian this morning, would you consider this offer that Jesus is making you to you? You don't have to know everything there is to know about this word. In fact, you're never going to know everything there is to know about it. But in time, you will gain understanding and insight the more you read it. You don't have to be a super disciple. Discipleship is a lifelong journey. But you do have to confess that you have a problem. And you do have to trust that Jesus is the only solution to it. But you don't have to do it alone. That's what this church is here for. They would love more than anything to help you take that first step and then walk the next step and the next step and the step after that and to continue with you on a journey of knowing, discovering, walking in, in the ways of Christ. That's why this church is here. The band's going to come up here in just a moment as I pray, and, and, and I want us to think about what Jesus is offering uh, during this song. And if you'd like to talk, I'll be glad to stay afterwards and talk with you. Um, I'm sure there are others in this room who would do the same. So as I pray and then as we sing this next song, won't you just consider this wonderful gift that Jesus is offering us today? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in this world alone to figure it out on our own, to hear and believe only the lie. We thank you that you have preserved the words of our Lord Jesus in the scripture and you have made it available to us today so that we might know the truth and be set free by it. I pray that if there is anyone in this Uh, room today or online that is struggling with this, that you would just speak to their heart, that you would free them from the power of Satan over their lives, the control of sin. Lord, let them be set free by your truth. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.